Okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> you can be seated. We're going to be in Acts 16. What should we anticipate? There are four questions, these last four uh, chapters of this section, seeking and saving. And these are the four questions. Last week, how are we saved? And we talked about that. This morning, what should we anticipate as we're out in the world in which we live? And want to look at that this morning. Next study will be, why should we care? Good question, right? The final one is, when do we go home? Can you hear an amen? When do we go home? And there's that longing we have in some manners to be home with the Lord. My sister, Karen, my youngest sister, uh, somewhat unexpectedly, we knew it was coming, weren't quite sure when, but she passed away last, I should remember this, last, this week. And so that was, it was a sad thing. She's my youngest sister. You always think you'll out, you, you know, you'll go first. But she knew the Lord Jesus, and uh, she had pretty cancer, ravaged her body. And she, at the end, she was just saying, Jesus, would you just take me home? And we asked, you know, when, can we, when do we go home? Now, that, past, that chapter there is when Paul himself was really discouraged. And Jesus had to come to Paul the apostle and encourage him in the life, that he, in the things that he was going through. So we need that encouragement, and I think the main source for that is the Word of God, that we get in the Word of God, we can hear the Lord speak to us, we believe that it's the, word of, the Spirit of God working through the Word of God that transforms the people of God. So every Sunday we get together, we're here just to get in our Bibles. And so if you don't have a Bible, we sure want to get you one. So if you just stick up your hand, we'll get you a Bible or your, or your device, whatever it is. I think it's really important, too, that we use all of our senses, as many as we can, to take in the Word of God, whether that's reading it, seeing it, saying it, memorizing it. It's because the Word of God is alive and powerful. And God's given to us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, life is much more than physical existence. It's spiritual. We get born again by the Spirit of God. We enter into this whole dimension of the Spirit, and we live in that spiritual realm in fellowship with God. Nothing like it. If you don't know the Lord this morning, you don't know that spiritual realm, let me say this. First of all, there is a spiritual realm that is opposed to you, and that is the demonic realm of the, of the devil and his angels who is opposed to you. So there's a battle that's going on for your soul, and it's an eternal, it's a battle to keep you in darkness, to keep you from making that decision for Christ. There are a lot of excuses that come on that we have in our minds. We all went through this. There's a battle that goes on when you're really wrestling with God about your eternal destiny. Jesus made it very clear when he died on the cross that that was, that was God's sacrifice, the only sufficient sacrifice to put away your sin before a holy, just God. He died on the cross for you. And so if you haven't made that decision, it is a choice you must make because any meaningful relationship requires a choice. God gave you the ability to choose. He honors your choices. He wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you like you, well, you can believe, but you'll never know the depths of how much he loves you. He sent his son to die for you, but you must choose that. So at the end of this, uh, before we take communion, we're going to have communion today. Before we do that, we're going to give you an opportunity to come to Jesus Christ this morning and to know him, the, on, and the only true God and he, who sent him, his father, and to enter in that relationship. It's a choice you make. So that's what, we're ho that's what we pray for all the time. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. We are being challenged in the Great Commission. The Great Commission is going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How are you doing? That's what the book of Acts is, is again, reminding us again. This great commission, the message we have, this treasure we have in earthen vessels is life-changing, literally. It's, it's people coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. It's Jesus Christ 
becoming savior of someone's life and lord of their life. And he begins then to direct their lives as he does ours. And so uh, I hope that we're continuing to pray and continue to ask the Lord because that is the uh, most important thing that people will ever hear from us is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you hear an amen? So this morning, what should we anticipate? Seeking and saving. What should we anticipate? Number one, I'm going to begin with just a couple thoughts. We should anticipate an adventure. It's an adventure. One way to get the most out of life is to look at it as an adventure. William Feather said that. The Christian life should be and is the greatest adventure that this life can ever give to us. It's the Christian life in knowing God and walking with him. C.S. Lewis said this. You are never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. You're never too old to do that. As believers, we are living in eternal life. So we don't get old in that sense. There's this life that's been given to us. And there's ne it's, you're never too old, particularly as a believer, to set another goal or to dream a new dream. What's on your heart? What's God created us as cre people that can, can think and imagine and create things. And he wants us to continue to be able to grow in enjoying our relationship with him and making new goals, dreaming new dreams, because with God, all things are possible. Attitude is the difference between an ordeal and an adventure. It's attitude. How did Jesus start the great Christian manifesto called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5? He started with what? The Beatitudes. What's your attitude like? You see, our attitude and how we approach life makes all the difference. Pastor Chuck Swindoll said this, the remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We should be growing in an adventurous attitude in how we go into every day because the Lord Jesus Christ is with us. The Holy Spirit has filled us. We've been given this commission to bring into all the world. So seeking and saving, what should we anticipate? Number one, it should be an adventure. We should anticipate that every day. Secondly, we know there's also going to be a battle. That's what it's like in this foreign world. C.S. Lewis also said this, adventures are no fun while you're having them. <laughs> he says, well, sometimes this adventure isn't very fun. Can you hear an amen? But listen, there's going to be battles. We should expect them. We'll see that in our chapter this morning. Winston Churchill, we're observing Memorial Day. A couple quotes. Winston Churchill said this, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. If you know what he did in history, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. Colin Powell said this, if you're going to achieve excellence in big things, you develop the habit in little matters. So whatever those habits are in our lives, our spiritual life, excellence is not an exception, it's a prevailing attitude. I want to live my life on the top, as top of the hill as I can for Jesus Christ. General George Patton said this, it's better to fight for something than live for nothing. It's better to fight for something than live for nothing. I need an amen on that one. We are not living for nothing. We are living for eternity. Because I just watched, I haven't watched all the time, but last night, I don't know if any of you saw it, the American Idol was on. And they crowned a new American Idol. An amazing achievement. A lot of battles that went on with that. But listen, all earthly fame will fade. It always has. It always will. As believers, all our earthly pursuits should be captured with this verse in 1 Timothy 6.12. 
fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, make the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That should be our banner scripture over our lives. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. In other words, eternal life is not a length of time. It's a quality of life. Lay hold of a life that's eternal. And then confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's the gospel. That's our, our, the great commission given to us. So as we come out of chapter 15, there was a fantastic finish to the first, uh, in chapters 13 and 14, the first missionary journey of Paul. Now, in the end of chapter 15, look at verse 36. There's not so fantastic a start to the second missionary journey. Verse 36 of chapter 15. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing, these, these new churches. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp, notice this was no small deal, so sharp that they parted from one another. So here's the deal. Now there's two missionaries going out, not just one. Or there's four going out, not just two. So God multiplied, actually doubled the amount of, uh, of missionaries going out. And so the contention became so great, they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark, and sailed to Cyprus. Now, not only did they sail to Cyprus, Barnabas and Mark here sailed out of the book of Acts. We don't read them except in the epistles now that come up. So they're sailing out. Paul the apostle now takes center stage. So these two godly men, Paul and Barnabas, had a tremendous impact on young Mark. Even in spite of these contentions, Paul did not think it wise to take with them again the one who was guilty of vacillating. He had his hand to the plow, and he looked back. Paul would see that. He was so full of promise, and yet for Paul, it was a great disappointment to him when John Mark left. But Mark would recover and grow up. Are you not thankful that God is patiently causing us to grow up in all things? So, Mark became a valued colleague to Paul. A fellow laborer, he said, a comfort to him, and a valuable asset in the ministry. That's what Paul said about John Mark years later. I am so thankful that in this journey, we, we should anticipate there's going to be these kinds of things. But we should also anticipate growth, that we will grow. And, and those that we look at and we're wondering, they will grow if we can be praying and staying at it. So look at verse 40. Paul chose Silas excuse, in verse 15. And departed, being commended to, by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So the beginning of the second missionary journey now, the gospel now is going into Europe. Now they're going to go into Macedonia. We're having a trip, a missions trip to Macedonia. There's a city there of 80,000 people that have no church. They're the Albanian Muslims. Now, October 12th through the 26th, have that right, John? And so if you want to go on that, pray about that, you can actually go and you'll see a lot of the things that we're going to read about in the second missionary journey. October 12th through the 26th, I believe it is, it's $2,500, and you can see Pastor John about that if you would like to go on that. 
So here's Paul, begins this whole missionary thing in his mid-40s. He's gone on that first missionary trip about a year and a half. He's back in Antioch for a while. He's out on his second missionary trip, which will take about two and a half years. So Paul spent about 10 years on the road in missions trips until he went to Rome as a prisoner. So 10 years of his life. And let me say this, Paul saw and met a lot of special people on all of those trips. In fact, throughout his life, there were a lot of special people that he met. And one of the other things I look at as far as what should we anticipate, we should anticipate something special every day. Particularly, we're going to meet some special people who know the Lord, who have been saved, and we're going to meet some very special people who don't know the Lord and have not yet been. I like to add that word yet. They have not yet been saved. They're in our lives, and the reason God has them in our lives, at least in part, is that we can be a witness to them and an example to them. So we should anticipate meeting special people who are not saved and special people who are, not, who are saved and who are not yet saved. And I'll tell you, I have met a ton. In fact, as I was thinking through this chapter, the whole idea of special people, you as well as me, over the years, a lot of very special people have come into our lives. And I was just kind of reminiscing on that. Life goes by real quick. But then you look back and you realize the years that have gone by have really, in, in, in a way, piled up a lot of very special people. Maybe not a lot of people as far as closeness time-wise or even conversation-wise, but very special people, God brings them into our lives. So those who, who I've known for years and those that I've just met, those who have similar interests and those who I find very interesting, you know, it's, it's interesting you meet someone and they're involved in something and you didn't even know it existed. <laughs> and there's this whole little world of people. In fact, uh, not that I don't know this exists, I do know, but uh, you ever watch bowling on TV? Now, some people love to bowl. They have all these leagues. It's this whole other, like, almost like a church of bowlers. And then there's arm wrestlers. David Lopez uh, is an arm wrestler here. And he, he's in... His, that God gives us these spheres of influence, and you look and you meet someone, and they're bold, they're, they're like bowlers. Wow. And I find it so interesting to ask them questions. My wife and I love to do that. Just ask, so what's, you know, and, and just sort of find out. They're very special people in, this, in, that, in that how God's designed them, their interests, all those kinds of things. There are those who, who are really easy to be with, and there are those who forge my relationship work ethic. <laughs> There's those I've helped and those who've helped me. There's those I prayed for and those who prayed for me. There's those who I've ministered to and those who've ministered to. They're all over the place. And I would just for a moment in your heart and maybe as you leave today, just think back on all the people that God has brought into your life who are so special. They're really special. You see, the list is endless. But this truth prevails. Every person we meet is special to God, every one of them. And so when we appreciate them for that, it really changes how we anticipate living life every day. It also changes my attitude many times when I'm talking with someone that this person that's standing before me is very special to God. Jesus died for them just like he died for me. And so when we talk about what should we anticipate, let's anticipate some special things every day from the Lord as we go out and live in this world. Now, for Paul, we get this first thing on, on this 
chapter. There's a certain disciple that he met. Look at verse um, 1, chapter 16. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. So she, she's Jewish. Her, his mom is Jewish. She's a believer. His father was Greek, so he's half Jewish by birth. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go with him. Now, I really think that when John Mark became someone that he couldn't go on the trip with, I think Paul, in fact, I almost want to say dog man, I think Paul was looking for another young man to take under his wing and disciple. And here he comes, and there's Timothy. I also believe that he met him first at the, on the first missionary journey. So he's back now, and he, he goes to Timothy's house. He knows his mother, his grandmother, his grandmother Eunice, his mother Lois. He knows her. He's met her, his father. And so notice what it says. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So I believe that Paul here is very protective of his young son Timothy. So he has him circumcised to remove one of the greatest targets of the enemies of the gospel from the Jews that he's not circumcised. They looked at that as being that. So Paul had him circumcised. I think a protective measure like a father for a son so that all those things that so one thing at least that might be harm to him is removed. He became Paul's son in the faith. So I believe he was actually saved under Paul's ministry. He was a lifelong friend, and Timothy became a chief associate with Paul. Timothy probably came to Christ under his ministry. Timothy's mentioned also, interesting, in six of Paul's 13 letters, it's co-signed by Timothy. So Paul wrote Myself, I, Paul, and Timothy, my son. I, Paul, and Timothy, my beloved son in the Lord. Timothy was the son of a Gentile father and Jewish mother. He was held in high esteem. Look at verse 2. Held in high esteem by Lystra and Iconium. So this guy had a reputation that was strong. His strongest traits were his sensitivity, affection, and loyalty. Paul commends him to the Philippians as the one that had his own heart in loving them. We're going to visit Philippi today. Paul's exhortation to be strong to Timothy suggests that Timothy wrestled with timidity. He wrestled with fearfulness. He probably also wrestled, as most young men do, with, he said, flee youthful lusts. But I know as a man, and you men know also, those lustful temptations don't go away. We must flee them. And Paul says to Timothy, flee youthful lusts that war against your soul. Get out of there, Timothy. So Timothy had weaknesses, as we all have weaknesses. That doesn't make us any less special. It makes us human. And so Paul had this exhortation to be strong. In spite of all of his weaknesses, in spite of his youthfulness, Paul was closer to Timothy than any other associate. And you are always closer to your son or your daughter than anyone else. And Timothy was his son in the faith, spiritually speaking. He played a prominent role in the remainder of the two missionary journeys. And we'll get to that. Timothy also appears as a companion of Paul in his imprisonment in Rome. So he was there with him in Rome as he's imprisoned there. Interesting thing. Eusebius, writing about, about 325 A.D., reported that Timothy was the first bishop of Ephesus. This is Eusebius, a historian. In 356, Constant, 
Constantius transferred what was thought to be Timothy's remains from Ephesus to Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul, and buried them in the Church of the Apostles. So interesting things historically we get about this young man who grew old named Timothy. So as I read about all these things, I think to myself, there is so much to learn and experience as I am actively involved in discipleship. There is so much to learn and experience as I'm actively involved in discipleship. Preach the gospel and make disciples. It's always a two-way experience. There's that of giving and that of receiving because this relationship that forged in discipleship is just that. It's the giving and receiving that we experience in that relationship that transforms and changes our relationship with that person. It makes our lives energized, meaningful, and special. Moms and dads, we understand discipleship because we have children. There are little disciples that we are to be raising up and training up in the way of the Lord. I think that's why Jesus said, go and make disciples, because we're going to experience something that is so amazing in meeting people. And then there's those special people God brings into our lives that we then begin this relationship and we grow and become. I took a, a class once, one time way back called Becoming Peers with Your Parents. And at that time, I was working through some things, so I took this class. It was really good. It just says parents will always be parents. They're always going to want to help you. That's what parents do. But as you grow together, there comes this need then that we have and we experience where we're adults. And we have a whole growing relationship with one another. I think one of the most fantastic things here is that Timothy was growing. And alongside him, Paul is growing up. And as they're growing up together, this relationship just becomes more and more deep. More and more meaningful for them. Because Timothy was there with Paul for that, for that length of time. He was far from the only disciple of Paul's. There were others that God brought into his life one by one. We'll get some this morning. Barnabas, God brought him into his life. Dr. Luke, God brought him into his life. Lydia and her whole household, God brought them into his life. The Philippian jailer and his whole household, God brought them into his life. Who's God bringing into your life? Who has he brought into your life? Who's in your life right now? You see, we should anticipate something really special. And these people that God brings are special people to him. Look at verse 4 again, Acts chapter 16. As they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, remember the letter, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. So there was a certain disciple was there. Secondly, a certain direction became clear. We should anticipate that. Now, look what it says. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So they're going, okay, I want to go there. No, you're not going. Uh-uh. <laughs> want to go up there. No, you're not going. Uh-uh. And so the Holy Spirit says forbid them, did not permit them. I believe that there is a lot of latitude in the choices I make in which God does and will direct my path. There is a lot of latitude. God is not playing the shell game with me. God's not trying to trick me about where I'm supposed to be going. Paul wrote this very interesting verse to the Romans, wanting to come and see them. 
Romans 1.10. Making requests, prayer, if by any means now at last, here it is, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul's saying, I'm going I'm to do everything I can to find a way to come to you in the will of God. You see, we have this tremendous ca- capacity to make choices and think th- things through. My, my, Charlotte says to me, God gave us a brain. He expects us to use it. Can you hear an amen? So there's a lot of latitude that we have as we're living life. First of all, because we need that latitude we got, because God knows there's a lot of me that has a lot to learn. And it's in relationship that we're learning that. It's not just a checklist where I go do this, 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 and I'll check with you later. No, God says, I want to take, I want you to understand I'm with you. Let's live life together. Let's experience it together. I believe there's a lot of flexibility, a lot of elasticity needed as I learn to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Have you found the same? I'm sure that you have. God knows there's a lot of me that has a lot to learn. He knows there's a lot of me that can get a lot in the way. (laughs) But here's the thing. God loves me a whole lot. He loves me a whole lot. He is out for my best. And the best thing that he can do, as us parents know, is to help me to learn to grow up in making decisions. In our home, we'd always say, you make good decisions, it leads to greater freedom. You make bad decisions, it leads to greater bondage. Two of my sons are experiencing just that now. That's what happens. What we're trying to do is make good decisions. Learn how you can grow up. God does the same thing with his children. There's a lot of flexibility, a lot of latitude, a lot of elasticity needed because God loves me and he's working in my life to lead me in ways of righteousness. I love this passage, this uh, verse, two verses, Psalm thir- uh, Deuteronomy 33, 27. Here it is. The eternal God is your refuge. Underneath are the everlasting arms. No matter how deep I go, he is still my refuge and he's still under it all. He goes on. Your gentleness has made me great. Underneath the arms, God handles us so gently. The other one is Psalm 1835. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. Oh, we could meditate on that one for a whole few studies. See, God's bigger than me and my choices. He causes all things to work together for good, not to just anyone, but to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Was Paul wrong in trying to preach the word in Asia? Was Paul wrong in trying to go into Bithynia? In both cases, those attempts were God's means of redirecting his life. And I have found the majority of God directing my life is in him redirecting my life. It comes through making choices. So when I decide to get seeking, God can direct my life. When I decide to get knocking, God can direct my life. When I decide to get asking, God can direct my life. When I decide to get going, God not only can, he will direct my life. A lot of past we could talk about that. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Do you do that? Knowing that the test in your faith produces patience. Who likes patience? Only doctors as far as I know. (laughs) Different patients. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete, lacking nothing. Let that work of God through the trials 
work in you a patience that's complete. You trust God. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberty without reproach, and it will be given him. But, here it is, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Picture yourself in a boat being tossed around on the waves. Not even with a boat. Like a wave tossed by the, by the, by the wind. For let not that man suppose they receive anything from the Lord. Why? He's double-minded. He's unstable in all his ways. We're getting thrashed about because I believe what he's saying is make a decision. Get on the bike. Start moving. Decide to start seeking or asking or knocking. Decide, get the direction going. And God is faithful, I have found, to redirect my life into his purposes and plans. He can do that. It's interesting, possible, how the Holy Spirit forbid Paul. Because he had some medical problems. In fact, as we get to a verse here, we're going to find that Luke joins him. It might be that Luke joined him for the, because he was a doctor. Paul had some physical, we aren't given specific details, but in writing to the Galatians, as we looked at last week, which he did right before the second missionary journey, he wrote to the Galatians, you know, because of my physical infirmities, I preached to you first. Sort of alluding to this, and we see other passages. He had some kind of physical infirmity. It's very possible that his health problems is what prevented him from going into Missy or Bithynia because of the altitude. A lot of things that are talked about. It's, and, you know, I, don't, I really don't like that way of God directing my life. Can you hear an amen? amen? Physical infirmities, things I can't do, things that's... Hey, listen. God's still on the throne. Our limitations are God's means of get directing our lives, and we, thankfully, <laughs> this present life, these things that I'm struggling with are temporary, leading to an eternal weight of glory. So may I encourage you, as I have to encourage myself, in some of these physical things that we are experiencing, God is not left the throne. God is still with us, still direct. So we've got to go back to James and count it all joy. Ask for wisdom. And get moving, get deciding, let God direct your life. Now, when we talk about God's will, we often talk about doing, which I, I understand. It is, thy will be done on earth as it is, is in heaven. We, we pray that. It is in the doing, but I believe we can miss, listen, the beauty of seeking the will of God for our lives. We focus all our energies on the doing, while all the while, God is working on the becoming. What are you becoming? In character, Romans 5, I don't like this verse either. Therefore, I have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. That's the word I don't like. <laughs> and perseverance, character. You see, the tribulations are producing character through perseverance. That patience, that's what we need. We need to hang in there, if you will. And the beauty is, for God is always working in what I'm becoming. And I do believe that the outworking, that our doing is the outworking of who we're becoming. And God, that's what God's doing. You see, the danger when focused on the doing is we get focused on the externals. When God's focused on the internals. This is the problem with the Pharisees. 
look really good outside, empty inside. And we can have the same thing going on. We're focused on all the outward doings, but there's something empty inside. And we have to realize that God is working in us to will and do of what pleases him. It's in us that the Holy Spirit is working to conform us into those things that he wants us to be conformed into. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's relationship. In marriage, as in all relationships, but this one, the most intimate, God's will is that you and I become a more loving husband and wife. That's what God's design is in marriage, the depth of love. That we learn what it means to to love unconditionally, that we learn what it means to die to self. (laughs) Someone said that marriage is God's university. That's Y-O-U, university. Die to you. (laughs) That's marriage. And then you have kids, and it's just college courses, how to die to self. That's what marriage is. As I evaluate my marriage, the most important question I must ask is, what have I become? Not what did I do? And a lot of people in marriage, when they have tough times, they get into that, you know, what did I do? And they try and sort of move out and say, well, you know, when I first got married to her, I really didn't know if it was the Lord or not. And now I realize it wasn't the Lord that I did that. Hold on a second. Red flag, Holy Spirit, I believe I You may differ, and I respect that. I don't believe that God has one person. I believe that the one person we choose is the person God had for us. And when I make a commitment, and God wants to work out that depth of relationship, so we're not saying, hey, rather than saying, what have I become, I'm asking, what did I do? Or the most important ongoing question to ask is, not what was I thinking, but what am I becoming? I'm preaching a little bit here to myself as well as all of us married. This is what God has for us in marriage. What are we becoming? And whether it's marriage, a job relationship, a friendship, a family member friendship, God is working on the becoming. What are you becoming? The truth is God can do his work at any time and in any place. Whether you choose to live in Kent, Washington or Cleveland, Ohio. Whether you choose to apply for college or enlist in the Marines. Whether you just choose to work for Boeing or for Babies R Us, it doesn't matter. God can work in any place at any time in your life, and he does. Truth is that God can redirect us at any time and from any other place. And so we're trusting the Lord with all our heart, lean not on understanding, always acknowledge, and he is directing my path through the choice I make. And many times it's redirecting them. We don't have the time this morning, but let me give you three, there are just three verses in the New Testament that says this is the will of God directly. This is the will of God. And there are three things that is, are God's will for you. Number one, to sincerely belong to him, sanctify. To sincerely just belong to him. Secondly, to simply enjoy him. That's God's will, to simply enjoy him. First Thessalonians 5, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. So to enjoy God. The third one is in 1 Peter. It says to steadfastly honor him. That's what God's will is, specifically in the New Testament. To belong to him, that is holy. To enjoy him, that's happy. And then to steadfastly honor him in all things. How? By doing good. But here's what I believe. And I'm taking a good section of the time this morning to talk about this because I think it's really a hopeful and helpful thing. I believe the most complete scripture as far as God's will for you and for me as believers is in Romans chapter 8. It begins in verse 28 with this marvelous introduction. 
And God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Banner that one before you get into the next one. It says there in verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined, here it is, here's God's will for you and me, to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He is the preeminent one. We are following to be conformed to his image. That puts it very simply and very directly for me. I love what the psalmist said. He said, as for me, I will seek your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. I'll be satisfied. When the spirit of God has transformed me from glory to glory, even to the same image. That's God's will for each of us. Now look at verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we, there it is, we, Lucas joined him, wrote Acts, sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now here's another fabulous human being that God brought into Paul's life, Luke. Luke was a meticulous historian. In fact, they, they say now he was one of the greatest historians in all of history, was Luke, Dr. Luke, who wrote, and it's no surprise to me, God has excellent people. And he chose Luke for this very purpose. And Luke, all the while with Paul, which he was, his whole, when he joined him, he was with him, for the most part, the rest of his life. The journeys up in Rome, maybe because Paul had these sickness, whatever it was, he stood, but at the same time, he's writing And he's researching to write the Gospel of Luke. He's researching and taking notes as they're going on these journeys to write the book of Acts. The man was an amazing historian. He was also an exquisite author. He wrote the Word of God. But here's, I think, the greatest thing about Luke. He was a faithful friend to, to Paul. Boy, that is one of the greatest blessings that we have in all of life, our faithful friends. Faithful... How's that go? The wounds of an any, but, well, you can you remember it for me. If you remember it, yell it out. How's that go? Faithful are the wounds. What? Okay, I better go on because we can take 10 minutes trying to figure this out. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. There it is. Friend. You have, I know that you do. Who's your friend? Who's your closest friend on this earth? I hope you married can talk to each other and say, you're my best friend. You're my closest friend. But Luke was that poor Paul. And here's what I, when I read about Luke and think on these things, one day I'm going to meet this man. You will too. And a whole lot of other people. And here's what Luke did, which is a blessing to me. He lived his life by continuing to develop and use his God-given talents and gifts. And I said, now that's the direction I want to be going. That everything God's given to me in gifts and talents, I'm investing them in things that matter for eternity. And that can be from your job to your family to whatever it is in church that you are developing and continuing. to. I don't think we ever retire as believers. God's wanting us to continue in that direction. That every day I can do the exact same thing of asking God to help me grow and develop in my gifts, my callings, and particularly in being a friend. Being a friend to others. Now notice the third thing in this chapter. There were open hearts, and we should anticipate. There were open hearts 
particularly Lydia. Look at verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. Philippi was a seaport, not heavily populated, not a major trade center. The Philippians prided themselves in being Philippians. They, say, they would say, that makes me a very important and significant person. And where are you from? Now, someone from Corinth, which we'll get in Acts 18, was very different. Because if you said you were from Corinth, what you're saying is, I'm an immoral drunkard and krauser. You'd hang your head, I'm from Corinth. The Philippi, oh man, I'm from Philippi. Now, it's a, very, it's a very little importance to where someone lives on the earth. What's really important is that they see our citizenship is in heaven. That's the difference. And we bring, we're sort of the ambassadors bringing a little bit of heaven into their lives. And that's what's happening here in Philippi. How do they do that? Number one, they stayed in the city for several days. Secondly, they went out and sat down with them and talked to them. Powerful. Look at verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went out of the city. Now, outside the city of, of uh, on, the, on, the, on the gates of the city of uh, Philippi, on those arches, there was a prohibition against bringing an unrecognized religion into the city. So they're outside the city, so they go out. That's just wise. Where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and I don't know if she, it seems to me, she, was, she overheard them as she's talking to some others. She's listening. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. She was very wealthy. She worshiped God. Notice, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. You see, that's what must precede is, God, is God's work in their hearts, to open their hearts to the gospel. And listen, you never know who's listening. You never know who's listening, who's overhearing something that you're saying. Have you ever had that in a restaurant? I've had that happen several times. I was listening to you, to you were speaking, and I noticed you have your Bible, and, and those kind of that's, that's happened probably to you also. Someone's hearing. They weren't trying to hear, but they overhear something, and it catches them, and then they start tuning in. You never know who's listening. I remember when I, was in, when I first gave my life back to the Lord in Southern Cal, I was a carpenter. I was with all these um, heathen carpenters. And I was Brother Kev, Brother Kev. And we'd sit around every lunch and we'd talk about Jesus coming back and end times things. And they're all very interested in that. But one time I got really mad at someone who was not very nice to me. And I thought I had blown my witness completely. I was so discouraged about that. Not too, too many weeks after that, they sent us all down to Palm Springs, Palm Desert rather, hotter than a pistol in the summer. So we'd work at 6 in the morning, we'd get done by 2, and then we're in our, our hotel rooms. And I'm in my hotel room all by ourselves, and here comes uh, this big, big, big African-American guy named Charlie. He comes knocking on my door in the back, my patio door, all glass, knocks on the door, wants to come and talk to me. He comes in, and he just starts crying because his life was a mess. You never know who's listening as you're speaking. And that's one of the things here. Hey, we, we got to realize there are going to be open hearts. And hearts are open. God's open. But we never know talking to someone, spending time with someone, someone overhearing us, what God will do. When her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me faithful. Here's something about Lydia that I also would add to our little bag of, of uh, takeaways. She was a hospitable woman in appreciation for what had happened there along that riverside. She said, you got to come to my house. you got to spend time in my house. And they did. 
And so I think hospitality is a huge thing in opening up the hearts of people to things that, are in, that, are, that have to do with God. Now, there will also be, as it says there, there was open hostility. I'm not going to go through all these verses, but the final point is there was open hostility. What should we anticipate? There's going to be someone there, someone special in your life and others also. There's going to be a certain direction. It's going to become clear to you, but keep, keep on making choices. Secondly, there's going to be, there are going to be open hearts, and there's going to be also open opposition. Now, notice, there was open spiritual hostility. Verse 16, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who, bought, who brought her master's much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, now you'd think, well, this is cool. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Yeah, well, that sounds pretty cool. But notice what it says. And this she did for many days. Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, not to her, to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. You see, there's this spiritual hostility. Paul dispensed it with a word. A little time, and they said, I'm done. And that was taken care of. Now, notice, there's also personal hostility that they're experiencing. This is not so easily dispensed of, not so easily to bear under. Her masters, it says there, verse 19, saw their hope of profit was gone. And it has everything to do with their wallets, as many times it does. In fact, the two times when the Gentiles were attacking them, they were attacking them because of money, profit being taken away. We'll get this we get to Ephesus. And so notice what happened. Saw their hope of profit was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. May I tell you the difference between spiritual hostility and personal hostility? Spiritual hostility is an annoyance. Personal hostility is a drag. I like it. I liked it. Come on. They drag them out. It's a drag, and that is true. It might be an annoyance in the spiritual realm, but when it comes to personal hostility, it is a drag. It's not easy. But we need to anticipate we're going to have open hostility. It's going to happen. So where did it come from? Notice verse 20. The magistrates came out, these leaders, these authorities, these men being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. They teach these customs, verse 22. Then the multitude rose up. So these leaders... The multitude follows them, and what do they do? They say they beat them with rods. They laid many stripes on them. They threw them into the prison, commanding, notice, the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, the worst place, and fastened their feet in the stocks. This was not fun. Very difficult. But, verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That, in, the, in the language of the Greek, it's intently listening. God had their attention. As they're, what are they doing? They're praying and singing hymns to God. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. God opens a way, God opens a heart, and God opens the prison doors. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. In other words, if they get out, you're a dead man. So this jailer, from, from callously doing his job to sleeping on the job to wishing he never had the job. <laughs> you ever get that way? <laughs> he was 
callously, could care less. I'm going to put it in the inner stocks. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make sure and make it even harder. But Paul, Kai with a loud voice, verse 28, do yourself no harm for we are all here. We haven't gone anywhere. He's crying out to this Philippian jailer. So he called for a light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is fantastic. Amazing. What were they doing? They were praying and singing hymns to God. That's what they were doing. That's what shook the opposition, shook the hostility, right to the ground level where the doors are open, chains are loosed. And the suffering, praise, and prayer of God's prisoners, and they were God's prisoners, Paul and Silas, trounced the opposition, opened the heart of a callous jailer who had put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. An earth-shaking, life-changing moment, not only for the Philippian jailer, but for all the prisoners and for Paul and Silas as well. Life-changing. Look what God just did. And that's what he wants to do. Oswald Chambers says, every time we pray, our horizon is altered, our attitude to things is altered. Not sometimes, but every time. And the amazing thing is that we don't pray more. That's all they were doing in the midst of all that was going on. And oh, how we, we're emphasizing this this year, Act Book of Acts, we need to continue to go deeper in prayer and praise to God. Where that's what we're going to, the hardest times are going to be the deepest times. And I don't know how they did that except by the grace of God. Same for us. And so the magistrates, verse 35, come out and say, hey, just would you get out of here? <laughs> Paul said, hold on a second. I'm not going anywhere. You have them come down and you release. Now, I don't think Paul was saying that vindictively. I think he was saying that protectively. He didn't want anything further to happen to the young churches there in that area. So he says, hey, don't do this again. And because he was a Roman and they scourged him illegally, could have been in big trouble themselves. So, no, you come. And Paul graciously didn't take it further than that. So verse 40, they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. They're going to leave. So let's pray. Brothers and sisters, if you'd bow your heads and pray. Because this, before we take communion, and so that you might be able to join us who don't know Jesus Christ, this is an important time for us as a family. When we give you an opportunity who don't know the Lord, you're not yet saved. You're still wrestling with that decision. And it is a decision that you have to make, a choice. And in making that choice, you will, put, you will silence all those excuses, all those fears, all those questions. They will be silenced because now you're being obedient to God in what you know you need to do in giving your life through repentance and faith to God through his son, Jesus Christ. So three things I'm going to ask you to do in making that decision. The first, just put up your hand and keep it up there so I can see that. I want to pray for you. Second, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And in standing up, you're making that public. As Jesus said, if you confess before men, I will confess you before my Father. And it's so important because it's so life-changing and so freeing. You're going to make that decision by standing up and saying, I'm going to do this today. You're going to say yes to Jesus today. And then I'm going to ask you to walk up to one of the tables. And in so doing, you're going to be giving your life to Christ through prayer with these brothers and sisters who are there to pray with you. And then they'll pray for you. And then they'll continue to pray for your beginning walk as we say welcome to the family of God. So as we're praying, brothers and sisters, in the Lord, we're battling right now spiritual things. And if that's you, you want to get right today.
just slip up your hand so that I don't miss it. We're going to wait and pray just another moment until we t- before we take communion. You know in your heart you need to get right with God. You need to give your life to the one who loves you, died for you. Just slip up your hand and keep it up so that I can see it. I see that hand. God bless you. Sisters, pray. The Lord loves you. He sent his son to die for you. Demonstrate without any question his willingness to forgive you, save you from your sin, save you from hell itself. So I see that hand. God bless you. Would you stand, please? Now, if you'd make your way to that table. We're going to pray to you. God bless you. Let's, let's give it up for the Lord. Someone's going to say, praise the Lord. And I hope you'll join us for communion once you've prayed there. So we're going to take communion now. As the emblems are passed out, there's two, two, two things you're going to get, a piece of bread and a little cup. The cup has, is just juice, but God said as, long, as often as we take the bread and drink the cup, we do declare his death until he comes. So we're going to look back, as, as we will, to what he accomplished for us. We declare his death. That through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we stand forgiven, justified, and righteous before God. Until he comes, we're looking forward also that this promise through the blood of the covenant is signed, sealed, and delivered once for all, for all of us, that one day Jesus is going to come again, and where he is, we will be with him, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But we're, we're right now waiting, looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. And in this time, I believe the Lord would have us to continue to just say to him, thank you. To say to him, forgive me. To ask him to cleanse me. Just a new, fresh reminder that God's taking care of all of our needs if we'll come to him and ask. Thank him and praise him. So while you're holding the bread and the cup, whatever it is on your heart, maybe it's some, something for someone else, whatever it is, let's bring that to the Lord, and I will come up and we'll take them together as the church of God when, once they're served, okay? Let's do that.